Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Live from the BA Podcast Nook here at the New World Headquarters in Durham, North Carolina. I'm John Manuel. Along with Matt Eddy, coming to you on a Monday. Uh, our new uh, recording schedule for the podcast. Trying to do it earlier in the week as opposed to later. So we hope you enjoy that. Going to try to get back on the beam with our New Year's resolution, as it always happens. Uh, you lose out on that halfway through, this, through the year. But uh, the email address is podcast at baseballamerica.com. We're having, uh, we have a lot of draft podcast questions from uh, Joe LeCates. So we're waiting for Matt Blood to get back from his long trip. And I'll be joining Matt this weekend in Chicago for the Under Armour Classic up at Wrigley Field. So we could probably take some of those next week, Joe. And then we'll hope that everybody else emails in with podcast questions at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Matt, this issue is our best tools issue. We're going to talk a little bit about how we do best tools and what's neat about best tools, and then a little bit of how the, the process is different for you doing two AAA leagues. I did a AA league, the Prospect Layton Eastern League this year. But first, our podcast has been usurped by the big news here on Monday. Uh, you got you got to love the, the big trade deadline and all that stuff, all that hoo-ha that goes on around the trade deadline. Emmanuel Ramirez and, and Ken Griffey Jr. are two Hall of Fame bats, and there was obviously some big bats, but the most effective bat to get traded might have just gotten traded today uh, here on August 11th with Adam Dunn slipping through waivers and going from Cincinnati to Arizona for Dallas Buck and two players to be named. Matt, how shocked were you? I mean, I think the whole safe to say the whole reaction in the office was one of stunned surprise when Adam Dunn, when that trade went down. Yeah, remember the Diamondbacks were were big players for Mark Teixeira. Right. They were rumored to be big players. So Good point. They get kind of their uh, consolation prize in Adam Dunn, and they give up a pitcher uh, coming off major elbow surgery in Dallas. Buck, uh, distinguished college career. Absolutely. But drafted knowing that he was going to require some serious operations. So uh, the, 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 the pairing of, uh, of Dunn and the Arizona Diamondbacks makes all kinds of sense to me. It is logical. I mean, it's extremely well. First of all, they kind of they kind of had to do something. They're in first place in the National League West, and the Dodgers are chasing them. And the Dodgers are a flawed team, but the Dodgers definitely have some momentum with when you when you're going from Manny Ramirez being picked up to adding Casey Blake to even Clayton Kershaw, uh, you know, having coming off his best starting as the St. Louis Cardinals, one that really kind of captured all of our attention. That was kind of neat to mm-hmm. see Clayton Kershaw on a daytime game and everyone here at BA kind of crowded around the office. Uh, HD uh, TV and watched a little Clayton Kershaw against the uh, against the Cardinals and we were just really all I think everyone was impressed by Clayton Kershaw, but uh, yeah the Diamondbacks they lose Orlando Hudson, uh, one of their most important offensive players, and the bottom line is they uh, and it's kind of funny their need was really corner outfield help. Mm. Well you know they they kind of had it in house and Carlos Quentin and traded it in a terrible need I say terrible trade to the White Sox. So now Carlos Quentin is on his way to maybe winning American League MVP for the White Sox. And after Eric Burns got hurt, there was absolutely nothing in corner outfield. I mean, Alex Romero mm-hmm. uh, getting a lot of corner outfield spots for the Diamondbacks. And Jeff Salazar gets called up to replace Orlando Hudson. So those two guys are fringy fourth outfield types, you know, 
Adam Dunn is anything but that, uh, Matt. I mean, I, I think he tilts the balance of power back toward the Diamondbacks. Yeah, he's great and for two reasons. Uh, you talk about best tools. He was the third top power hitter in the National League as judged by National League uh, managers. Right. And he's got 30 home runs already. He's got a, a chance at 45 or so. His career high is 46. Yeah, so he's got uh, so he has a chance to surpass that. He's got a chance to hit 40 home runs for the fifth straight season. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like Hank Aaron territory. I mean, I'm not trying to put too much on him, but that is what Hank Aaron did every year is hit 40 home runs plus. He and, did it for 20 years. <laughs> and, you know, Cincinnati's been a great park for, for Dunn, but, you know, uh, whatever they're calling the park in Arizona now would also be a great place for him. What do they call the park in Arizona? Is it Chase Field? It's not bank, yeah, it's Chase. It's not Bank One. And, I miss the Bob. I miss calling it the Bob. <laughs> and, and and not to be overlooked, it's also a left-handed power source, which the Diamondbacks had sorely lacked. Also, you know, also not to be overlooked is that the Diamondbacks probably will run away with the most strikeouts in the league now, with, <laughs> with Chris Young and Mark Reynolds in the top three, I believe, in the now, league. Now, that is a caveat. If you are one of these guys who believes in, you know, uh, you know, productive outs, or if you are one of these guys who thinks that strikeouts do matter and having a lot of strikeout guys in the middle of a lineup back-to-back-to-back to back to back could be a problem, we might see that with the Diamondbacks now because this really is a – you just mentioned the, the Reynolds, especially Chris Young. I seem like they hit him everywhere in the lineup when he's right. hot. They might maybe move him up to five hole, but I've seen him hit anywhere five, six, seven, eight lately. Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly has not been as good as he was last year. I mean, it's a sensational rookie year. Even when his on base was under three hundred, he was so productive because of all the home runs and stolen bases. Uh, but Adam Dunn, uh, this is the guy who has the single season. Strikeouts record, correct? No, he doesn't. Oh, he Ryan, doesn't. Ryan Howard shattered it. Oh, Ryan, ha- I, I forgot. He might break it again. <laughs> right, he, and that's who finished ahead of him. Ryan Howard won in best power in the National League. Albert Pujols two. Adam Dunn Ooh. three. Um, that's a pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good who's who. Ryan Howard, Ryan Howard, and Ryan, and Ryan Howard. Can he play shortstop? But uh, Adam Dunn, you got to love also. He's obviously playing at a home run park in Cincinnati. Uh, this year, but 16 homers at home, 16 on the road. Is any park going to hold him? Uh, just about to say, there's no, no park <laughs> this guy, the big donkey, cannot hit a home run out of. And uh, meanwhile, Dallas Buck, um, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Dallas Buck's a guy who uh, was a warrior at Oregon State, a uh, two-sport recruit. He did play some special teams. It's a, some de- defensive back early in his career at Oregon State. Focused on baseball, helped that team win the 2006 National Championship. He was not there for the 07 when they went back-to-back, uh, when the O-State ballers were still balling, in Mitch Canham's words. Uh, but Dallas Buck did pitch that junior season with decreased velocity, mm-hmm. and the Diamondbacks took him anyway, and he's gotten that velocity creeping back into the low 90s. But he's a low 90s sinker baller, and even this year when his strikeout rate is pretty low, Matt, it's a 1.95 ground-out-to-air-out ratio um, in A-ball for a 23-year-old guy who will be 24 in November. So I'm not sure how high the ceiling is on uh, Dallas Buck. I do think to myself that's a good guy to have in a ballpark like Cincinnati that is so home run centric, home run oriented. But the other question that you brought up is who are the players to be named going to be and who can they possibly be? The Diamondback system really is thinned out. And that's it's startling. Obviously a lot of the guys are in the big leagues and helped them win last year, but – Hey, look at the, at the team like the Rockies, as I'm sure Tracy Ringlesby will do. Will do. The Rockies are also homegrown, and home star and homegrown and great job. They're homegrown, but they're also they still have some some prospects in their farm system. The Diamondbacks are a little thin. They're actually, they're yeah. kind of a lot thin. When you get past Max Scherzer, who's kind of working his way back into shape in AAA, 
And when you get past Jared Parker, the first-round pick in 07, and uh, Gerardo Parra, kind of the hitting sensation at Double A, right? Slumped at Double A, but the yeah, best, the best pure hitter in the system by far. Yeah. And once you get past those three, you know who who would you target if you're the Reds? I mean, maybe Brooks Brown, the mm-hmm. former Georgia right-hander. He's he's solid. They've had a nice bounce back year for Matt Tora this year, right? Uh, former first-round pick who's had major shoulder surgery. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really know. You've already traded. Uh, yeah, guy that some people like in Emilio Bonifacio. And Evan Scribner in the Tony Clark trade. Wow, look at you. Right. Mr. Trade Central here. Right-handed power reliever. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> um, I don't even know who that is. I mean, you got Brian Augustine, kind of an off-speed right-hander, maybe, uh, who just got caught up to high Class A recently. Uh, I know a couple of years ago we ranked Kyler Newby in their top 30 as kind of a middle relief kind of guy. Uh, it's hard to know who you would rank in this uh who you would trade, I should say, in this farm system. Who else would be going over? There's just not a lot going on there. And it really is amazing. I think it's been a very conservative draft uh, track record the last couple of years for Arizona, and that's kind of part of the issue. Uh, their farm system is thinned out. But when you have a chance to get Adam done, either for a rental for two months or a year and two months, if you offer him arbitration, which you, you have to expect they will, I think you have to do it, and, and they did it. So. Yeah, and uh, talk about what the Reds, in addition to Dunn, what they're what they're foregoing is the chance to uh, reap those two draft picks. You were talking, just you and I were talking today yeah. about the value, maybe how the perception doesn't line up with the true value of these draft picks. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I think teams are always overvaluing these this two draft pick deal, and uh, you know it's nice to do and uh, makes sense to have draft picks, and we love scouting and player development here, but at Baseball America more than anybody else does. But I mean, I don't I don't see how the, this has become so valuable. I think I'd, I'd rather trade for a guy I know about in double A mm-hmm. and a guy who I can really – I think it's easier to evaluate players once they've played a little bit of minor league baseball than it is to evaluate them when they're facing metal bats or they're uh, using metal bats and where your evaluation is based on what they did in the Cape and in a 56-game college schedule or a high day. school schedule. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's so much more revealing what these guys do in pro ball. So I – I would rather trade for prospects than for than hold on for draft picks myself. Gotcha. Plus, you're not paying a signing bonus. You don't know what the strength of the draft is going to be. There, there's that. You don't. You don't necessarily know where you're going to pick or who's going to be there when you pick. Uh, I think that there's a little bit too much that's made about. I think it's easy to spin from the club standpoint of oh, you know, we're going to save it for the draft picks. We'll just get the draft picks back. I think that's a little overhyped. Um, talking, getting back to the Diamondbacks. So their farm system, you know. It's a college middle reliever they drafted with their first pick, and Daniel Schlereth, uh, Wade Miley, and Brian Shaw, two decent college starters. I like their third round pick, Kevin Eichhorn, son of Mark, that has gave him a half million dollars to sign for go a Santa Clara um, scholarship, and he's a an athletic right hander. Um, yeah, they drafted Jared Parker's younger brother Justin, uh, but like Colin Calgo got the super duper start this year, then he got the high A, I mean uh, to A ball, and uh, found he, it a little bit tougher. Is he the next Kyle Hankard? He he basically is the next Kyle Hankard. He's got no home runs right now at South Bend, the Midwest League, a little more difficult. I mean, he's holding his own there as far as hitting 260. But, like, is Evan Fry like, one of their best prospects? I, mean, I just don't know what they have. Uh, it's, 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 uh, th- it's disappointing to think of the Diamondbacks as a farm system that's deep. You just think they have that reputation, and they're just not. That's not who they are anymore. So. It's not the reality. It is not the reality. And so you better kind of hope, I guess, if you're Josh Burns, that, uh, giving up one of those last key pieces in Dallas Buck, 
that you're going to win this year. So it's the Baseball America podcast. I'm John. He's Matt. We're talking a little uh, Adam Dunn. We're talking a little best tools. Adam Dunn coming in third in our best power tools voted on by major league managers. Matt, we also did do best tools, of course, not just at the major league level. We go all the way down uh, for all full season, the four full season levels, your triple A, your double A, your high A, your low A. Um, so you did the triple A leagues. You, you shepherded both of those leagues. I did the double A Eastern League. God, I think I've done best tools at every level but triple A, to be honest with you. Hmm. I don't think I've ever done triple A level uh, next best year? tools. I think I'll help you out on the, on the PCL <laughs> next year. Nice. But that's one of the things that stands out in the, the PCL. Oh, and you cover the PCL and the, and the International League uh, thoroughly for us here on the AAA side of things. What, uh, you know, it seems to me, I would posit that the best tools is really kind of where AAA being kind of like more of a veteran uh, league as opposed to a prospect kind of level. That's where it really shows up the most is the best tools. You think that's fair to fair way to put it? I do, and especially on the pitching side of things because I think when an organization realizes – that a pitcher has what it takes to succeed at AAA. You know, you're not really pushing for the Governor's Cup championship. That's right. You're pushing for the World Series championship. Right. And and if a player succeeds there, you know, don't don't waste his uh, don't waste those bullets at AAA. That's Call right. Up. I mean, almost all these guys, especially on the pitching side, uh, the only guy who won a pitching uh, category that I can think of who hasn't been called up at all, uh, I think Cesar Jimenez has been up. I think he's up now. Hmm. Pretty sure that Wade LaBlanc hasn't been called up. He's not been sure. up. Barthmeyer has not been up. Barthmeyer and I've, has Juan Maria been up? No. Our, like best fastball at the AAA level, David Percy and Juan Maria. That's like those are two guys who have been great fastballs for a long time and haven't harnessed them. David Percy finally starting to a little bit. Are you optimistic about David Percy's future with the Blue Jays, or you think he's still pretty much going to be a, a relief pitcher? It's all said and done. Uh, that is one possibility. What what lends the most hope is the surgery he had. In the last off season, because he was he was pitching injured really all of 07, his abbreviated 07 season. He came back he came back strong this year. He's been really really good for Syracuse. Uh, strikeouts are up, walks are down. You know, more consistency from start to start. And, we, and you really saw it in the AAA All Star game when he was painting the corners at 95, 96. That, was a, that do- was a two inning stint. If he does that. He's going to have enough to be a major league reliever. Well, eight and six, two sixty nine for him at the AAA level this year with one hundred twenty one strikeouts, like you said, and just the thirty four walk, and that's the best ratio by far of his career. Yes. He has struggled in the big leagues. Uh, guys aren't expanding their zone as much as they do even at the AAA level. Right. But you know, it's to be expected. I think the guys who go straight to the big leagues and succeed um, are fewer and further between. I mean, look at the Twins as a big league example. Where we talked about, you wrote about earlier this year, AAA kind of as a finishing school for them. Glenn Perkins, Nick Blackburn, uh, Scott Baker, uh, all three of those guys are key parts of their rotation this year. I'm leaving out somebody, aren't well, I? Kevin Sloy spent a full Sloy. year, even though he almost broke the ERA record, you know? And all, and all four of those guys also had initial struggles in the major league. I mean, I know Blackburn is technically a rookie, but he was terrible at the end of the big league season last year. Mm-hmm. Perkins uh, had some success as a big league reliever, but then the next time he got up as a starter, he got his head handed to him. And uh, you know, But all those guys, I think, benefited from having – a lot of AAA experience, but then again, uh, some big league experience where they struggled before they figured it out. So Dave, the fact that David Percy's struggling now certainly doesn't mean that he's going to struggle forever in his big league career. But uh, a, th- a couple other good stories, I guess, on the AAA uh, side that I wanted to touch on with you real quick, uh, Matt. Uh, we have best defensive third baseman. And, uh, Matt, uh, I mean, and Jim Callis has written about this. And the, you got Neil Walker winning internationally best defensive third baseman. It's you know the, you have an interesting dilemma now with the with the Pirates. 
this is draft signing week, and I'm sure we'll podcast on Friday, actually, after all the draft signing deadline passes. Uh, but you got Pedro Alvarez, who's not yet signed for the Pirates, but I think we still expect him to sign. You got Neil Walker in AAA, and they just acquired Andy LaRoche. Uh, what do you think Neil Walker's future is, with, is with the, in the Pirates organization? Yeah, uh, Neil Walker's situation really highlights uh, the value of, of having up-the-middle prospects. Yeah, you know? great point. Um, he switches to third base, and uh, you know he's acclimated himself very well defensively, and he's hitting for a lot of power. Unfortunately, he's also hitting 230 this year <laughs> yeah. for, for Indianapolis. So uh, on the bright side, he's 22, and um, – He's a left-handed hitter. He's a switch hitter, right? Oh, switch hitter, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and, and in talking with people, it seems like he's really brought that game awareness from behind the plate out to third base with him. I mean, he always knows what to do with the ball when he gets it. He's got that great arm for yeah. being a catcher. And he's fairly athletic. I mean, he's an so, athlete. So if he hasn't come along hitting-wise by the end of next season, you know, it's it's too early to make a final judgment on, on, on Neil here. Yeah, I think he'll be, 20, he'll be 23 in September. I think he's a guy who's probably going to play next year at age 23 in AAA. Right. And with Andy LaRoge trying to get his himself set in the big leagues and uh, at that third base position. And I think Walker might have a higher ceiling than LaRoge. Mm-hmm. Sounds like, it sounds like the, the, the Dodgers might have been right about Andy LaRoge. The more uh, we talked to scouts, Jim Callis talked to a couple of scouts up for his column, and most guys just think of Andy LaRoge now as a guy who will be solid, mm-hmm. but they don't see him as a star. Uh, Neil Walker, maybe there's a chance, but that plate discipline issue has dogged him since the South Atlantic League, mm-hmm. and that's still an issue for him in AAA. Another guy who's a favorite of mine I wanted to ask you about, Jason Pridey, best defensive outfielder in the uh, in the International League. And we had him here last year. We saw him here with Durham in the second half of the big leagues, uh, the AAA season. He was just ridiculously good for Durham. Horrible start for this guy, but now what a year he's putting together. 277, only 313 on base, 451 slugging, uh, 16 triples to lead the International League, 23 steals and 31 attempts, so he's fairly efficient. Uh, you'd like him to maybe be a little bit better uh, still on base. He'd be right about three out of four. Um, 12 home runs. He's one of, I think, two minor leaguers, along with him and Josh Reddick, who are double figures in doubles, triples, home runs, and stolen bases. Uh, what, do you, what do you think the chances are for this guy? He clearly has been passed by Denard Spann, which kudos to Denard Spann for having an outstanding year this year and doing uh, finally making the leap and translating some of those tools into into actual performance mm-hmm. for uh, for Minnesota. But Carlos Gomez has got more talent and more tools than Jason Pratty, but he's clearly not ready to hit in the big league level. Uh, what do you think Jason's future is in the Twins organization or elsewhere? Uh, that's tough to peg. You know, when you talk about the 313 on base, that's that's low, but it's also 20 points higher than where it was a month ago. Oh, he, absolutely. He's, he's been extremely hot in July forward. As to his future, well, you know, he's he's, he's your prototypical backup in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's an exceptional defensive outfielder, which is what he got the award for here in our best tools. And, and you know, and you could see how it would be easy for a guy like him to maybe not go all out all the time, you know, because he's been passed by two guys in the organization. But... The effort is there. It's consistent, and and the tools are starting to play in in July. Yeah, I I think this guy. I think this is a guy who really pressed early, mm-hmm. um, and that's how you end up with a kind of year like he had in May, where he had one of the worst months you're ever going to see. His May line: one forty two, one eighty two, two twelve, with twenty six strikeouts. Now the strikeout a walk is still basically unacceptable, but three thirty with seven home runs. Well, three thirty with seventeen extra base hits. In July, 465 uh, in in August so far for this guy. Uh, plus, he's walked six times. I think this guy's uh, a guy. He's gotten a hit in every game since uh, July 25th. 
I think this guy is ready to help Minnesota in the big leagues. The question is, and now he might get the opportunity with Mike Kadire uh, getting knocked in the foot over the weekend by a batted ball and breaking his foot being out four to six more weeks. Problem is, Jason Pride hits left-handed. The Twins really need a right-handed bat. So, to me, Jason Pride is a guy who I think is going to have to find a different organization. And he would have been a perfect fit for the Rays this year where they went out and got Gabe Gross. Gross right. He would have really would have been a perfect fit in that organization. But uh, I think the Twins thought that he could help them uh, in their big league situation with center field. So, uh, they get him, and then he has a terrible start of the season. Span passes him, and, and now he's locked in at AAA. And like you said, to his credit, he hasn't hung his head. He's, ha- he's had an outstanding year. So, um, those are a couple guys I thought needed to be brought out. Best power, Pacific Coast League, Brandon Wood. We could talk about Brandon Wood, but I think you've read enough about him in the prospect hot sheet. But yes. that guy is about as hot, probably the hottest player in the minor leagues right now is Brandon Wood. Yeah, I mean, this, considering the advanced competition, this might be the hottest hot stretch we've seen in several years. I mean, probably since, since in the Cal League. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> since Brandon Wood in the Cal League. You might remember me from such shows as Brandon <laughs> Wood in the Cal League. I mean, this guy is just uh, just having a ridiculous year. Uh, well, we'll move on to Double A Eastern League in just a second. But we got to admire the stats here. He's, he's, exactly. I mean, he, he, look at this. I mean, he's put himself in the PCL home run and slugging competitions just on the strength of his July numbers alone. I mean, that's just read those July numbers donkey. for, for three, the audience. Three fifty-five, four thirty-nine, seven thirty-eight. Uh, that's ridiculous. That's 14, 11, Eleven home runs. It's a Ryan Streeby-like fourteen home runs since July first. Uh, Ryan Streeby also on uh, last week's hot sheet follow us or team photo. For leading the uh, leading the Florida State League in home runs with 27, but this is a guy who's doing it in Brandon Wood playing shortstop. And oh, by the way, his batting average is all the way up to 294. So, you know, I don't think they're going to find a spot for him with the Angels this year. Um, and they've got to get creative in the off season to make one for next year. Yeah, they do. And you, you know, just have to wonder where you, this guy ends it, up. We heard the rumors to share it to the Angels, and we heard that. Wood was potentially on the trading block, but those two sides never came together. And I think I think Brandon Wood joins Jason Pride on the All Block team, uh, with Neil Walker possibly also on there. Possibly. So, yeah. um, I did. Well, I did Eastern League tools, and uh, we'll, we'll touch on those real quick. Uh, Eastern League's a fun league to do. Uh, it's up to seven or eight managers. I guess it ended up being about eight managers out of the twelve in that league, and a lot of uh, you know it's hard to uh, really find a lot of consensus on some of these uh, some of these uh, categories. But there's some interesting, really, names, I think, to, to me, Matt, that really stood out. Uh, first of all, Matt Wieters had not been seen by enough of the league to win a category. But I think there's no doubt in my mind he's going to end up being the number one prospect in that league. He's played enough there now. He dominates the Carolina League tools, as you would expect, best batting prospect, best power, best defensive catcher. Um, well, we should mention the Wieters will have some pretty stiff competition from a couple of 20-year-olds. That's, that's where I'm going, especially in the best power uh, Travis Snyder won it in the Eastern League, and for just pure raw power, Snyder might have more raw power than uh, than Matt Weider. That's, that's a tough, that's a toss up. Two completely different looking players. I mean, Travis Snyder's the tailback. I mean, the uh, the fullback to Matt Weider's tight end. I guess uh, if you're looking at it in football uh, terms, but uh, you're obviously you've done the Blue Jays uh, list for several years now. You're a pretty big Travis Snyder fan, I think, aren't you? Oh yeah, everybody who watches him comes away that way. I mean, that's just. It's it's amazing. You know, the it really is. Ta- Taylor made swing for hitting for average, hitting for power, incredible strength. You know, and the best thing about it, it sounds like the strikeout totals he had earlier this year really a result of him making some adjustments he really probably shouldn't have made to try to protect his elbow from that spring training injury that he suffered, and he DH'd a lot, and his right elbow just wasn't right. And his manager Gary Cathcart said that he just thought he was kind of a he, he's such a smart cerebral player and knows his body, knows how to hit. 
that he was doing things where he could still be an effective hitter, but he changed his swing path and his swing plane, kind of trying to protect his elbow and not overextend his elbow. So he was really basically sacrificing the outside corner. And now, as he got healthy, as he trusts the elbow, he's been his own best hitting coach. He's adjusted his swing again. He's getting better plate coverage and caught up the AAA than the last week. So now you got a prospect in the International League for sure. And I'm going to guess that Russ Adams won't have to hit cleanup anymore for Syracuse. I think he might have Travis Snyder thrown in there. A um, couple other guys that though were – the Eastern League, really the, the consensus was not a ton of stars in the Eastern League, but a lot of solid average future big leaguers. Perhaps the Nick Evanses of the world, the Danny Murphys of the world, uh, Mike Carp not in here, John Nee's not in here. Matt, uh, what do you think Danny Murphy? Danny Murphy's a guy who has never been on our hot sheet this year, but now he's in the big leagues. This is a guy, can he hit enough to, so the Mets don't need to bring Ryan Church back from a concussion? Is he going to hit to that level, or can he contribute to a team that could maybe win a, an Eastern Division championship? Uh, you are leaving Fernando Tatis out of that scenario. I, I am. I should mention. Consciously. But, uh, Purposefully. Uh, I, I'm not sure Danny Murphy is quite ready to lead them to the promised land yet. However, he's off to an incredible start. He, I mean, he, he really has a plan with each at bat. He, he grinds out at bats. He knows what to do when he gets his pitch. Is he going to hit? I mean, 20 home runs are pro- is probably the high end for him. Uh, absolutely. I think so for sure. I think he's got a chance to hit 280 to 300 in the big leagues, though. You know, he has a chance to be he has a chance to be Chad Tracy. Yeah. I don't know that he's as good of a defender at third base as Chad Tracy was when he was right. at his best. But I think that's that's who Danny Murphy has. A, if I'm if I'm giving him a comp, uh, that's my comp. I I actually think he has a little bit more feel for hitting than uh, than Chad Tracy. And that's saying something because Chad Tracy had some ridiculous hitting streaks in the minor leagues. But this is a guy who's 11 for 23 in the big leagues, and he really does have a plan. And he's basically just a, he's a grinder who hits, and that's what everybody in the Eastern League pretty much said about him uh, universally. Uh, and that's and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the and, and they call him Daniel Murphy on on uh, television broadcasts. I think that's what he likes to go by, Daniel Murphy. He'll always be Danny to me. Uh, probably the most exciting players in that league, in the Eastern League, are two guys who are very different. Uh, well, I guess they're lumped in maybe similarly because they're both African-American high school players, who are draftees, Greg Golson and uh, Greg Golson and uh, Austin Jackson. There's an inside joke here in the office on Greg Golson. I apologize. But uh, do you believe in Greg Golson at all, uh, Matt? You're, you're welcome to say no. I don't think Greg listens to this podcast. But I'm, a, I'm kind of a Greg Golson guy. I just have talked to too many scouts who do like him, but I understand the if you don't. I haven't followed his career closely enough. He seems like a guy that uh, there's scouts love and minor league managers love and sabermetric studies do not like. Because he never walks. It's just not in his blood uh, to walk. Uh, but this year, and he's gotten a lot of Ron Gant comparisons in his career, wow. but Ron Gant with better defense. Um, it's 287 this year. Um, in double A, 336, 438. He's got 20 for 24 stolen bases. Honestly, he reminds me way too much of Reggie Taylor and other Phillies of yore. Uh, Chris Roberts is another example. Guys are all tooled up with no place to go because they can't get on base and they can't uh, consistently hit for average because they give away too many at bats and swing and miss too much. That's just my dime store uh, Greg Golson take. But I, I got to tell you, I haven't run into a scout. Or a minor league manager who didn't want the guy to succeed or didn't like him. Right. I mean, I think he works hard. I think he plays the game the right way. Like Danny Murphy, I think he is a grinder. Uh, he just is a grinder with a lot of tools. But he's a grinder who doesn't quite know how to work a strike zone. 117 strikeouts, 28 walks this year. Those 28 walks, that, that, that might just be a career record, uh, career high. 
Austin Jackson, have you had a chance to is, – is that a guy maybe you feel a little more comfortable talking about? Greg Golson won best outfield arm and most exciting player. Austin Jackson wins best defensive outfielder in the uh, in the Eastern League, and he's making it look good that we ranked him ahead of Jose Tabata coming into this season in the Yankee system. Yeah, there, there's certainly a lot more uh, certainty with Austin Jackson. You, you, you get a rough idea of what he's going to be like as a major league player. You know, That, that is a career high, by the way, for uh, – oh, no, Greg Golson had 30. I'm sorry. He had 30 walks in 2006. So he's nearing his career high with the 28 walks. Yeah, uh, maybe Jackson doesn't really stand out in any tool, but across the board. Yeah, he's very steady. And that's, solid package. I, I think there's a lot of upside there as well with the power. Uh, it's 31 doubles in double-A right now for a guy in his third uh, big uh, pro season, third full pro season. And there's upside there. I think Austin Jackson is close to fitting that Yankee center field profile, and he's much better bet to be the long-term Yankee center fielder than anyone in their big league team right now, whether that's Johnny Damon, who's not a long-term option, not even a short-term option, Melky Cabrera, whose bat has fallen on hard times the last couple of years, Brett Gardner, who had his first uh, close-up and did not succeed very well in it. And Justin Christian, signed by our own J.J. Cooper, basically, <laughs> or at least an assist to J.J. Cooper. And if there's anybody else that we'd root for over Austin Jackson, it would be Justin Christian. If Justin Christian became an everyday big leaguer, that would be amazing, I would say. Uh, and uh, a welcome. Uh, I don't think anybody would uh, here would, would mind that happening. So uh, Eastern League tools, like I said, that was a lot of fun to do. It's a loaded league uh, when it comes to just depth. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see how these guys end up being ranked out when I talk to more scouts um, as the year goes on. Uh, Matt, one day, one day we'll do Appalachian League best tools, but we're not there yet. So we'll visit back with Matt, obviously, when it's uh, top prospect time because Matt ranks the IL. Do you do the PCL top 20 as well or no? No, uh, IL not this season. IL top 20 and Appalachian League Appalachian top 20. League. <laughs> I'll be hitting the Eastern League and then – We'll both have three top 30s that you'll see online, obviously, chat about, podcast about, et cetera, et cetera. And Matt, uh, Monday's also uh, your transactions uh, wrap-up day in the minor leagues. Anything that people should go uh, look at today if they haven't already looked at their transactions? Anything stand out to you in the in your latest transactions installment on the blog? Well, it was the player you turned me on to last week, Luis Montañez. That's right. The third overall pick in 2000. If you haven't checked out his what he's done this year for AA Bowie, you should check just it do out. yourself a favor and uh, and visit his player finder page or check out the transactions. You know, you might that's, find that's one of the best seasons in the minor leagues by any player this year. Yeah, twenty six. I understand he's old for the Eastern League. Uh, Eastern League managers think there's still something there uh, with Luis Montanez. Well, I guess wants to be called Lou, Lou, as Daniel Murphy wants to be called Daniel Murphy. <laughs> Montanez wants what, to be Lou. What stood out for you? Uh, what stood out for me on Lou Montanez or in the Eastern League in general? Oh, transactions? Well, I love of Kevin course. Eichhorn. I do love Kevin Eichhorn signing because he's the one guy in Northern high, Northern California high school players have this track record recently of not signing. That's why you had so many college guys this year who'd all played together with NorCal baseball. James Darnell of South Carolina, Brett Wallace, Tyson Ross. Uh, there's one other guy who's a – oh, David Cooper. That's four, that's four guys who went in the first round and supplemental first round and second round, and Darnell, who all played together on the NorCal high school travel team. Uh, none of them signed out of high school, though. Uh, so Kevin Eichhorn, there's a real trend of Northern California kids being very college-oriented. Lars Anderson of the Red Sox, a premium prospect who's tearing up the Eastern League right now after getting called up. Uh, here's a guy who signed out of Northern California for $800,000. Tyler Robertson of the of the Twins is another exception. So there's always one or two or three guys. When I was doing draft coverage this spring, Kevin Eichhorn was the one Northern California high school guy that I did peg as being signable, a team that teams, a player that teams 
would spend the money on that it would take to keep him from going to college, and he has turned out to be the one guy, five hundred grand, uh, getting the job done. And if you go to baseballreference.com and look up Icorn, you'll see that his dad, Mark Icorn, had one of the all-time seasons in 1986. He was a ridiculous middle reliever for the Blue Jays, and I just I happen to love that season. And he was a submariner, making it even better wow. for me. Yeah, Kevin Eichhorn was uh, that, down that could lead Mark Eichhorn was down under. That could lead us down the Chad Bradford Trade Central Avenue if you're not careful. We don't want. We, we've already gone th- <laughs> more longer in this podcast than I thought any podcast that didn't involve me and JJ Cooper could possibly go. So we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did because we're both smiling. So uh, enjoyed the podcast, Matt. Until next week, to everybody else, we'll talk to you next week on the Baseball America podcast. Podcast at baseballamerica.com, the email address. Until then, so long, everybody.